This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm your host Mike and with me are Hambo and Chris and we're going to discuss our last two games, uh, a strong performance against a re-energised Arsenal side that saw Palace get a well-fought point, followed by a toothless thrashing at the hands of Man City that uh, saw John Stone score a brace, which of course he's never done in the Premier League before. Palace making history again. Join us for the catharsis after... The Match Report Sponsored by Pitch Sport Available to download on the App Store and Google Play PitchDMM.com So, gentlemen, Hambo and Chris We're going to try and stay positive for this, aren't we, gents? Absolutely not Chris, you're going to at least... Excellent. Yeah, I always try and leaven things up if I can. Excellent. Right, well, uh, one of you can sit on one shoulder for me and be uh, the devil and the other can be God or something like that. And yeah, we'll go go that way. Um, Sorry, just to pick you up on that just a little bit. um, Yeah. I I don't really like the the situation of having... I mean, it's the inference that being the, the negative one makes you the devil... Because I'm not really happy if if Chris Clark is God. Well, I've I've deliberately not said so that if you're you know if you're into the Church of Satan, um, that can be that that can be the good bit. Let, let's not go there. Let's let's oh, not go there. Oh. Let's go though instead to uh, Palace news this week, shall we? So um, I start with the women's team. So two very frustrating narrow defeats for uh, Palace women this week. So unfortunately, knocked out of the. Uh, very hard to understand. Conti Cup, the Continental Cup, uh, made it to the quarterfinal. No shame at all in being knocked out um, by Leicester. So yeah, made the last eight, which you know, it, no, it's something that we haven't done with the men's team for a, a couple of years. Mm. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, on uh, on Sunday, a one 0 defeat to uh, I mean the very high flying Durham. Uh, again, n- no, no real issue with that. Still, still doing fine in the table, uh, mid-table. Uh, but they'll they'll be frustrated. They were both one 0 defeats, um, and they've got Leicester again. So uh, a chance to avenge um, the, the 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 cup exit. 
this weekend. So hopefully they'll do uh, they'll do something against them this time around. So the under 23s played Fulham um, this afternoon uh, on the day of recording. Um, I was working, so didn't really get to see it. So I had to rely on the watching the highlights on the on the Palace player today. I, I did, I did. I Excellent. It. It so talk, the, talk us in, through. Yeah, on in the background whilst I was uh, whilst I was working, just in case anyone from anyone from work listens into this, um, it was on mute. But um, early early doors, we we just really we just started so poorly, and Fulham were sort of tuning up in the blink of an eye, and it looked like it could be a real problem. They'd beaten us. I think five two earlier on in the season as well, um, you know, and and obviously it was a team that in recent times had picked up results in terms of Palace. I mean, um, but we'd had first team players in there. I think you know Tompkins, McCarthy had played fairly recently, Sacco at one point, Klein at another point. So there'd been some experienced players in, in that lineup, but you know there, there was a, there was a good Palace team out there, and there was some you know some interesting performances. Um, you know, Kirby was pretty pretty solid in midfield. Um, you know, it was good to see him out and about there. But you know, for, we came back really strongly. Sort of got a little bit lucky in in some cases. Uh, J.K. Gordon, who'd come back from injury, um, managed to win a penalty. Um, Mark Bright was a little critical of him, saying, "Oh, I would have, I would have shot there." But he got his leg, legs taken from him as he kind of tried to shape to shoot. So. Definite penalty and tucked away by Sean Spence, who um, looks an impressive little player, actually. He was one of those ones that joined without very much fanfare at all. But um, I think he was at Swansea before. But he looks a, a good player wearing the number 10. But um, anyway, um, so tuck that one away. And then um, I, I've completely forgotten who scored the second goal. Mike, you watch the highlights. Help me. Uh, I've forgotten. I can look it up. Well, I tell you I that... Uh, it was Brandon Pierrick. There you go, Pierrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, a nice little bit of... a. A flourish from Pierrick in terms of, of of some of that game. He, he looked like he was returning to a bit of form because he's been very quiet of late. But um, you know, got got in at two two, and, and it looked a really even game up until that point. You know, so slow start, came back strongly, and then evened out. But Fulham came out very quickly in the uh, in the second half and got themselves ahead. And then it was really you know, a lot of attack versus defence. I don't really remember too much, although I wasn't watching every minute, but. Don't remember too much of Fulham creating, and they just they kind of just sat back in their shape, and uh, and invited us on, and we just couldn't quite make it make it pay with that kind of conversion of a chance. But it was you know three two is a disappointing defeat, but in terms of the development, in terms of you know the the standard of the opposition and the standard of the Palace play, it was really really interesting game to watch. So it's not all bad. It was a it was a it was a pretty decent showing. Yeah, I mean you're right. That Fulham, so back in December, did beat Palace five two. Um, they're flying pretty high in the league as well. Um, four wins in the last five. So um, yeah, fair enough. Although to be fair, Palace still two wins in the last five themselves. They're in mid table in, in seventh. Um, it's a it's a tough league. The Premier League two, Group two, has got some got some good teams. So um, yeah, that, I mean it's good to see a five goal thrill. I would have thought. Um, in terms of other news, so I think probably the big one, um, Max May has gone. Um, we all found out via, well, I presume we all found out via that slightly odd push, push notification from the Palace app. Um, I mean, we don't need to go on about whether Mayer was underutilised, whether Palace have treated him badly, particularly. Everyone's got their own opinion on that. But um, if we start with Chris, just just a quick uh, blurb from each of you on on. Uh, Max's 56 games at Palace. 
Well, a player with great potential, um, who you know we never sadly never saw the best of, and you know would have liked to have seen him get more minutes, but I can understand why he didn't. And yeah, you know, I mean that, that's all I've got to say really. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about um, the fact we obviously we didn't get a fee. We thought it was going to be a really good signing for us, but he's always looked a little bit physically slight and just never really got the chance to show what he can do. Hopefully, he'll move on and do well somewhere else. Yeah, um, I'll sum it up like this. When when we signed him, we thought we were signing Kabai's replacement and we ended up seeing um, you know, a manager try and get him into the kind of Loftus-Cheek role that had been vacated, which at the time seemed a little bit mystifying. Um, and I suppose since Eze came in this year, it was pretty clear that, that Max was never going to get that opportunity. We simply... Didn't trust him playing central midfield, which is weird because he's a central midfielder. Um, had this kind of philosophy that he was gonna, he was more comfortable out wide and all this kind of stuff. And Chris is right; he's talking about the stature, but there's plenty of players of that stature who who don't struggle. And particularly when we played a three-man midfield, it was just absolutely baffling that that Jeff Schlupp was being played as a central midfielder over Max Mayer. And I, I maintain that as much as I love Schlupp now. Um, that was just just madness. But never, it's it's both true that he didn't get a proper opportunity and a proper chance at Palace, and that he wasn't right for the club and he wasn't right for the way we play. And it's and it's best of all parties that it's ended like this. Yeah, I think that covers it from both of you. Um, I just wanted to add. I was listening to Talk Sport this afternoon. Um, don't don't shoot me for that. Um, I just have it on in the background when I'm working sometimes. Um, and everyone's favourite annoying moaner, Adrian Durham, uh, was talking about Max Mayer um, and how he'd been let go by Palace um, and made a couple of points. One of them that he was on 170 grand a week. Um, so that probably makes the second point less believable. But he said uh, they had an interview with him a little while ago and uh, Max Mayer was talking about his veganism and how it, it helps him with his football. Uh, but also pointed out that he eats chicken. So I'm not sure he quite understood what a vegan was. Um, <laughs> vegan chicken? Um, but yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, uh, the only way he's on 170 grand a week is if you're trying to factor in every other potential payment that might exactly. be actually made. He's, you know, I, exactly. I believe it I believe it was probably, from what from what I've heard, it's, you know, it's somewhere between 70 and 90, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I was trying to figure out if, you know, Signing on fee and all that could have added up to that, but I, I really can't see it. I was I was shocked to hear that he played fifty six times. Presumably, about fifty four of those were off the bench. Uh, quick uh, quick mention of Sacco's injury. Um, I know the preview boys mentioned it as well. Um, it's looking quite serious and looks as though it's tanked any chance of him uh, moving this window. How does that affect Palace? <laughs> Not a lot, <laughs> you know. I think we would have been, we'd have not liked to have got um, a bit of cash for him. I guess um, whether or not that was ever going to happen, I'm not so sure. You know, with, when you've got six months left in your contract, it's always in the players' hands as to how they're going to handle their next move. Um, but it just re-emphasises the point, and I'm sure Chris agrees that you know, in his time at Palace, he's probably one of the most talented and able centre backs we've ever seen, and it shouldn't be ignored how great he was for us, particularly when he was on loan. But that, those injuries, those fitness problems have just completely destroyed, you know, that, that kind of vision of him, of, of what he once was. And he, 
gets probably an unfair reputation now as a as a kind of calamitous defender when the truth is the biggest problem is never having him fit enough to to play regularly. Well, Chris, quick quick word on on, on Sacco. Has he played his last game for Palace? Do you think? Sadly, yes, I think he has. I mean, I, I, I can't see him. I mean, he's not going to get back from this injury by the sound of it until the end after the end of the season, and clearly he'll be on the move um, on a free now, um, which means we won't get any money for him. That's probably the biggest impact um, of you know of that injury is just that we're missing out on a few million quid, which would have come in handy for um, you know future transfer deals, which you know hopefully will still come to pass. Who knows? But yeah, as as Hambo says. A, a really key player for us when he was able to play and could have been um, so much more if he'd ever had a reliable run without an injury. And it's just a massive shame that that didn't happen. But I hope people do you know, remember the positives as well as the you know mad stupidity. Frankly, it's the same issue as um, PVA. That's why we've got him in the first place is because he's not quite at the level that he could have been if he'd managed to be to not have that streak of madness in him then he'd have actually cut it at Liverpool and stayed there rather than having to move on in the way he did yeah well said and I'd like to reiterate that it's not his fault he cost 26 million quid um, and that shouldn't be the reason that people hold anything against him Um, you know a player costs what the agent is asking for and if the club that's buying them wants to pay that then that's what's going to happen um, let's go on to something that came up today at the time of recording. Uh, I don't know if you saw this gentleman, Nathan Ferguson, uh, he's had a bit of a mail on Instagram. Uh, do you want to talk me through it? Have you seen it or do you want me to tell you about it? No, I, I did see it. I did see Terence shared it in our group chat and on his Twitter account and Red and Blue Army one. Um, and well, he's basically just, you know, in his Instagram story, it's got Tarek Lamptey. I mean, what? Why? 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 You know, you're a Palace player. Um, you, I think Terence said it best. Really, you know, Zaha talked about players not really understanding the 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 Palace Brighton rivalry, and you know, and and Wilf's absolutely right there in terms of you know Ferguson's only recently joined the club, and I'll be honest, I, I'm you know I'm not going to pretend I'm that fussed about it. Really, it, you know, it is what it is. But you know, it's the sort of thing where if you're if you're trying to make friends at Palace, trying to get support amongst the fans, many of whom are already slightly unfairly angry at him for not being fit to play, um, it doesn't really help, does it? No, and I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's it's tagging Tarek Lamptey, who I think today, as far as I know today, has got a, a five-year uh, or a five-year new deal with Brighton. Um, next to a big old Brighton logo on the wall, um, it, it it doesn't look good. It's just. Um, it's it's really not understanding the situation too well, and um, you know T- Terence was right to point out that um, he he thinks probably Wilf will be having a word in the changing room about it. I'm sure he will. Um, quick words on transfer rumours. Um, I I can't remember a time where a transfer window has been open. There's been so little discussion of transfers, probably because you know it's very hard in the current situation to see that that many players would be moving geographically. Um, the one I wanted to pick up was John Philippe Matita um, from Mainz. Um, t- t- 23-year-old. He played f- uh, France under-21s. 
He's been doing well this season. Scored, I think he scored seven in the league for Mainz. Um, that's that's the rumour I've heard about. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys want to add any other rumours in, but really, um, DR's been keeping a, a decent eye on it on the on the YouTube page. So best to get over to the back of the Nest YouTube if you want to see more regular updates on transfers. Yeah, I'll just add, it's not the first time we've been linked with him. It's, do you know, to be honest with you, it's not one that I've, you know, I've heard too much about. You know, there's, I mean, Kawame came back in as a rumour, the one, the one we were after and nearly signed before he got injured and ended up at Fiorentina. And, and you know, he's the one that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we went back in for. But Mateta keeps coming up over and over and over. So there does tend to be something in it. You know, usually it's not just agent stuff if it, if it comes back every single window. There's, there's, tends to be something in there but you know from what I read at the time I haven't, I haven't read up on him since and how he's been getting on but when he was initially linked you know I looked into him a little bit and he you know he does strike me as a kind the, the right kind of forward in terms of the physicality and you know kind of a, a Benteke replacement if you like kind of you know got that movement um, that sort of Benteke lost a little bit but also a pretty good focal point with an eye for goal so it makes sense in principle if we're going to carry on the way that we are, but you know I, I'm not convinced that, that it'll happen, frankly. No, the, the oddest thing about it is that uh, West Ham weren't linked in any of the articles as well. Yeah, but they'll come in in Gazumpus anyway, won't they? If we've nearly got the deal done, that's that's the reality. And just to quickly um, say, in terms of would he be a good signing? It sounds like he would. I mean, the, the you know his numbers are good. He's got seven goals. In um, 15 games, one in two ratio, that's pretty good. Uh, having said that, you know, Mainz are not a team that are doing super well. Um, you know, and they're, you know, if, if you read the articles about this, you know, at the moment, the quotes are along the lines of, from the, the club management are essentially, well, he's a key player for us. Uh, we don't want to sell him, but if a stupid offer comes in, then, you know, we'd have to consider that. So, I mean, I, I can't see us putting a stupid offer in. We tend to drive a hard bargain. So I don't reckon it will happen, which is probably a shame. Excellent. Well, that's uh, another positive uh, note to end on. Um, just a, a reminder, check out content on all of our socials, uh, Back of the Nest on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you, you'll find us on there. YouTube at the moment, DR's doing beautiful things, as you're probably aware so we'll be back to talk about the two games we've just played right after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos. Choose your match day squad, post match ratings and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Yeah, so it's a little bit difficult discussing 
lineups and tactics across two games. Uh, we'll concentrate mostly on the Man City one because that's the one in people's memories. Uh, I apologise because obviously we got absolutely dumped. But let's start with the big issue for the Man City lineup, finding out that, that Wilf wasn't available. Is there mm. any inside news on that? Um, or is it a longer term thing or can we hope for him back against West Ham? Well, the the talk from from Hodgson pre-game was that it was a knock, and we just didn't quite have enough time to get him ready. So, you know, I did see somebody else talk about a knee injury, but you know, my my theory was that it was the the stamp from Xhaka that went completely unpunished on on Will's foot. It caused him a lot of discomfort, and he, you know, I watched him after that because it, you know, when they when they showed the replay of him. You know, he didn't. He sort of stamped down on his foot, and then he really just rubbed the, uh, the you know, the studs right across the top of his foot. And I thought, I hope he hasn't, you know, done the dreaded metatarsal there. And I, and I watched him, and he wasn't moving great after that for the whole game. And, I, and that's the sort of thing that would, as soon as you stop moving, you know, that that can flare up. So I suspect it was that personally. But if it's more than that, if it, if it is a knee problem, then then who knows really? And, and you know, you never know how those things are going to settle down. But from what was was said pre-game, and you, you know, it depends how much faith you put in that. It just seems like it was probably, uh, you know, a couple of days too quick to get him back out there. You know, he's got he tends to heal pretty quickly. You don't lose him for, for that long when he gets injured usually. So, um, I'm optimistic we'll see him for the West Ham game. Excellent stuff. Um, so let, let, we'll, we'll quickly talk about the lineup. So I asked you this, Chris. Um, if you can remember far back uh, as the as the Arsenal starting eleven, um, I wanted to ask how close it is to what you or what the general Palace fans would consider to be the strongest current Palace eleven, considering that Schlupp's out long term. Well, fairly close, and that you know that was uh, merited. You know, as we saw in the performance. Personally, I, I while I've, I think Kiate's done a very good job and shown some adaptability, I think over the last few weeks he's been quite flaky in that centre-back role and I think that's just probably fatigue at playing out of position for such a period of time. But good to see uh, Mitchell on the left. I'd, I personally prefer um, Klein at right-back over Ward and I think you know that's... You know, that's um, Again, vindicated by what what we see on the pitch in terms of the attacking capability that Klein offers, and Ward just he can get turned nowadays. Uh, nice to see Tompkins play, but yeah, for me, Kiate, I would like to see swapped out for uh, Cahill, and of course we'll, we'll talk about how that worked out in the Man City game because that's exactly the swap that happened. Uh, in terms of the midfield, I like Townsend and Eze, but I, I do want Zaha in the pitch on the on the pitch. Clearly, in the Arsenal game, he was and playing alongside Benteke, which I, I know a lot of people uh, have a downer on Benteke for understandable reasons because he have, doesn't always score, but he does manage to link up the play with his with his um, back to goal quite a lot. But let's look at the central midfield pairing: MacArthur and Milivojevic. I think there's a lack of mobility there, despite the fact that MacArthur really likes to run. He looks knackered every game. And clearly needs resting. Um, and if we're honest, you know, Luke has not been on on his top form for a long time. I really want to see Reader World, and I think that is, you know, our best central midfield pairing is, um, you know, it certainly includes Reader World. I don't know who I'd drop. I'd probably keep MacArthur in because I think he at least shows attacking intent. What do others think? Uh, I just want to say I heard from uh, James McCarthy's mum who uh, thought that Jairo should be in above her son. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Um, 
it's amazing how you know we do see things differently, don't we? Because um, I, I mean, talking about the Arsenal game, it's funny you know, the players you picked out, Chris. So in terms of Kiate, thought that was his best performance against Arsenal as a centre back. I know what you're saying, but I thought he was, he was superb in that game. MacArthur absolutely should not have played against City. You can't play him two two games in a row. But again, probably man of the match for me against Arsenal. Absolutely outstanding. And Luca, Luca's been back to you know somewhere near his best for. You know, I I want Gyro in there, but I, I agree with you. I struggle to think who to drop. And you know, frankly, the, the criticism of Luca is, is way way over the top. And and I think we we do miss the job he does when he's not there. And you know, I go, I know it's one game, but you go back to the Wolves Cup game where you had Gyro trying to screen with <laughs> with uh, McCarthy alongside him, and it was just abs- an absolute car crash. So you know, I still I still think, and and I kind of hate this fact, but I still think. The midfield that we've got, we would, we would be better off having a, a central midfield three, and then we talk about the Man City game where we had that and it went horribly wrong. So, um, but yeah, I just I just thought it was interesting that the, the people you picked out there and, um, yeah. Well, there was I, no I, schlappy to praise, of course. Yeah, true, true. I know you struggle without without Super Jeff in there, and we, um, yeah. <laughs> and, but how things change, eh? I agree with you that we miss him. So um, there we are. Well, I mean, that was a perfect segue into the the. the what I'd describe as the four six zero for Man City. So, um, well, I mean, what was going on there? Um, were, were you one of the minority to be happy with the the starting eleven, considering Wilf was out? Oh, do, you, do you know what? No, um, I, I did. Tw- I did tweet about this because I didn't want to start the game negative, and I did the same thing on the watch along. I was just like, right, I I could complain forever about you know looking at that and thinking, well, that's the game lost before we've even kicked a ball. Wound me up something rotten but and I'll tell you what the thing that wound me up the most was it was it was the selection of Jordan Ayew because and Roy confirmed it pre-game exactly what my fear was it was I'm picking Jordan Ayew up front because he's going to have to run all around the pitch all game because it's Man City and we can't yeah. we can't keep to a system we can't have a plan up front because we're just going to have to run around all game and try and, and try and fill all the spaces um, and you just to, to me it ruined the whole positives of rotating a squad in, in a game that's going to be tough. Brilliant. That's what I wanted to see all flipping season. We haven't seen it enough. Didn't necessarily rotate the right players because he played MacArthur twice in three days, which he struggles with. You know, so hey, what, what can you say about that? But it, it is what it is. But not. But but yeah, great. You rotated it, and you also adapted a system to the team. So we didn't stick rigidly to what we always did. We tried something different. And if we try something different and we rotate the team, I can handle it. If there wasn't for the slight bafflement of picking three central midfielders and none of them are Jara Riedeveld, because then you, how, who are you going to have to put your foot, put the foot on the ball in the middle of the pitch, you know, take a moment, keep possession for a little while, take the pressure off that Man City are going to build. And we never did that. We never broke up the pressure. And that all came from the selection of the players, not the system, the players he selected. He had options on that bench that had they started would have changed the dynamic of the game. Not necessarily the result, but that's the stuff that I find absolutely baffling about Hodgson. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I mean, I won't repeat everything you've said, but I think, you know, Reader World was a shoo-in to uh, take the place that was inexplicably given to McCarthy. Ward, I, I, I mean, he played obviously in the previous game. Klein has clearly been rested, so I would like to have seen Klein come in for uh, into that right-back position. And then Jordan Ayew, as you've said, I mean, 
in the previous game against Arsenal, Benteke had two good chances, one of which was a really good headed effort that their keeper struggled to save but did make a great save with when he's actually seeming to be firing on at least one cylinder. Why you don't start him in a game like this where you actually need an out ball, I really can't understand. So, yeah, I, I would have wanted to see Benteke start all day long in this game and I was concerned from that lineup immediately when I saw it. Sorry, bang on, bang on, Chris. I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike, because I know you were going to jump in there. But that was that's the the main part. You know, I could have potentially stomached start, starting um, Batshuayi over Ayu because simply Batshuayi is a, a better striker. But I still would have been frustrated because he's not going to hold the ball up. And to be fair to Jordan Ayu, he, he really did work hard to try and get in positions to hold the ball up. But if you're going to play like that, not having a focal point to bring players in. And first off, I'm sure we'll get into it, but first off, we actually did get players forward in support of the front players. And not having a proper focal point meant it fell apart way too readily. And, you know, so we were actually relatively close to a game plan that might have worked and might have got us something, you know, at least in the very, in, the, in the first half. And, you know, so that that's why it's probably even more frustrating is it wasn't the total disaster that, that it kind of feels like when you've lost 4-0 because it was close but and the options were there to do better. Yeah, I will come on to uh, Roy and Cahill's comments uh, on that in a little bit. Uh, I did want to mention the bench though. So a lot of criticism for only having seven players on the bench. Obviously, it was, it was a strong bench, as you say. Um, what I would say about it, uh, just get your comments in a second, was that obviously the under-23s did play the next day so do you sacrifice um, what would definitely be 90 minutes of football um, for probably not coming on? Um, albeit we're in the week where um, Neil Warnock, and uh, he had a lovely time, he had a lovely time. But uh, after a game uh, that he played in midweek, was was talking about how he had to put um, under-23 players on. And he just doesn't think that the, the current under-23 structure um, is anywhere near useful for getting these players ready for proper football. And I think we all, we all know what he means. But so is it a little bit Hodgson's of the same opinion? What's the point? They may as well play an under-23 game because then there's no way he's going to trust them against Man City and see us lose sevens. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, I mean, there's lots of talk about whether or not the, the bubbles make a difference. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't think you can legitimately go into a game with seven subs when you have an under-23 squad to choose from, assuming you can select them. And if we couldn't, because of any bubble-related reasons, that's just appalling planning. And, I, and I'm certain it's not the case. We've, You know, you, you, you have a tendency to take a relatively large match day squad around with you. It's usually got a couple of young players in it at the very least. Um, and to not use an opportunity where you're short on players, to even give them an experience of being on the bench, you know, that kind of management of young players, giving them that taste. It may be, you know, even chuck a couple on there. You're never going to use them, but some that maybe haven't travelled with the, you know, with the with the, with the the first team squad before. And Patrick made the point on the watch along. I was sort of talking around this issue and he goes, yeah, 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 but, it, but it's rubbish because go and look at the, the, the photos from training. You've got young players out there. They're training with the first team. So it's not that you can't select them. It's that he'd rather choose nobody than choose under 23s and he gets that point which is not even about ability anymore it's about developing players and I've said this a million times not every single player at your club 
you are developing to play in your first team. You're also developing them so they potentially become an asset. You know, you can loan them out to a league club. They they might find a bit of form in, you know, League Two or whatever, and then they become someone you can sell on or even, you know, which we've done in the past, give a free transfer with a sell-on fee and you make some money. It gets, your academy generates funds by generating players. It's not all about the big sales, the, you know, Aaron Wampasaka who comes out of the academy and gets us 50 million quid less than a year later on. That is, It's not about that every single time. And it's so, so short-sighted and winds me up something chronic. Yeah, I, I mean, mean obviously... You, oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, you mentioned Nia Kirby earlier, and um, th- there's absolutely no reason that he couldn't be on the bench. Um, he's played it before. And, and as you say, um, you wouldn't have thought he's got a Palace career ahead of him. So maybe should be putting him in the window ahead of a move to another club. But, Chris? If we knew that Zaha was injured, and I have to assume that we knew that in advance of the hour that the rest of us all found out, um, then why on earth you wouldn't at least put Pyrrhic in the squad? I, I really can't see that one at all. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen him. I know that he probably wouldn't, in the end, get minutes in the game. But we didn't have a recognised winger on the bench at all. You know, the, there's Van Arnholt who can obviously play that role, and he's, you know, God knows he's a better winger than he is a defender at the moment. But the, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen Pierre get, get at least a shot. Okay, and let's uh, let's end this section with uh, a comment from uh, a listener, Ian Hadley. Uh, he said, "We had two centre forwards on the bench who can hold the ball up and set up attacking chances, and there's no game next week. Obviously, it's FA Cup weekend." Um, why not take a gamble on them? Surely at least a plan B. And I think by that, by that he means at least, you know, bring them on at half-time or something like that. Uh, th- thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Sim sort of talked about, the, the you know, the, the selection of forwards already, but and, and it's on that theme. But he's right in terms of doing something a little different, recognising the problem. And I, and I think it just goes back to, you know, my relatively read-up-on theory about Roy and, and why sort of year by year, he does seem to, you know, he's always been a little bit, you know, slow to react in, in terms of making changes, but I think it's got worse. I think he often, when you see the change that everyone thought was the change to make happen 20 minutes after it was obvious it needed to happen. I mean, let's let's highlight Jairo Riedeveld coming onto the pitch directly after they scored the third goal. You know, that was that was a move that needed to happen before, before it went 2-0, not after it went 3-0. And and it just goes back to exactly the point Ian's making that you, you you look at the you look at the match and even if you're going to go into it with the attitude Roy did that we'll come to at some point you just say okay that that hasn't worked let's let's try let's try and be decisive let's give them something to think about because what's you know what's the worst that's going to ha- going to going to happen and it's all you know I understand it's all very well with hindsight saying we're going to lose more than four nil what, what's the big deal we've already got hammered. You know, and it, and it wasn't 4 0 at the time, and you can, yeah, would it have been different, blah, 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 blah. But those are the seem to be the things that Roy gets stuck thinking about. You know, if I make this change, is it going to be worse? You know, my attitude is let's limit the damage. So it, it, I might not be able to do that if I make this potentially creative change. And everyone gets stuck on this thing about, oh, we can't go expansive, we can't attack all the time. And it's like no one's saying that. No one's saying change from being whatever it is we are right now, to be in this expansive, ultra-attacking unit. Because we know we'd get a spanking quite a lot because we don't really have the players to do it. But it, it's a really about the subtle changes in, in, in the game. 
you know, game management, we, we, you know, people call it, you know, and I, and I, I pick it all the time, you know, switching wingers, that kind of stuff seems to have gone completely out of fashion with, with Hodgson, you know, switch sides for you know, 20 minutes or, or for a half, you know, get in at half time, be one nil down and don't think, Oh, we play pretty well. We're, you know, we're, we're well in the game here and then do nothing because your opponent is going to do something. And, you know, Man City have an embarrassment of riches, absolutely. So it's almost it's a damn sight easier for for Pep Guardiola to go and make the changes that he made. But he swapped um, Sterling and oh, who was playing the other side, Silver. He swapped them because you know Ward and and Townsend together as double right backs. Sterling got nothing first half. So what does Pep do? Changes it, gives them a different problem, gives us a different dimension, and that from the very start of the second half put us on the back foot because we changed nothing and then we reacted to nothing. And, you know, you can't tell me that that, that is acceptable from a manager of Roy's knowledge and experience. It, it just isn't. Well, that's damning. There's a lot of truth said there. Okay, right now we're going to quickly discuss our sponsor because um, obviously, like many podcasts, uh, we're free. We do it in our own time. Um, but there are products and companies that help us along uh, and at the moment, a lovely company called Manscaped are uh, are sponsoring the pod. So, a quick word about their new product, the Lil Mower 3.0. So, you may have heard us talk about this already uh, in some graphic detail. Um, there's been pictures shared across our personal WhatsApp that I don't think you'd ever want to see. Um, but it's... <laughs> This is, this is the third generation trimmer um, featuring a, a cutting edge ceramic blade to uh, to reduce grooming accidents, shall we say. Um, and it is properly premium. Uh, the battery lasts 90 minutes. Uh, more than that, um, obviously don't use it every day, but I came back to use it after a week or so uh, and the battery was still absolutely fine. I hadn't need to recharge it anything or anything like that. Um, it's waterproof. You can use it in the shower. Uh, LED light illuminates illuminates the grooming area. So yeah, basically they they're not a normal um, clipper kind of a company. Uh, this this is for keeping your more private areas nice and trimmed. So Hambo, how have you been going with the uh, mm. with the old Lil Murphy? It is genuinely fantastic, and and it's always nice when you're you're, you're sponsored by a company who who genuinely are. Um, what they say they are, if you know what I mean. You, you know, I wouldn't be comfortable sitting on this podcast talking about something that I didn't genuinely believe in. And they've got the right attitude. We're talking about it on the watch along myself, dear um, Patrick. Being in America, didn't didn't get the freebies that we got. And um, but that, that's what I said. You know, rather than than chuck money at us, they they chuck the products and said, you know, use them. They they speak for themselves, and they were absolutely right. I've never seen anyone still quite as excited as DR is about ball deodorant. He just, he, he cannot, cannot stop talking about it. But yeah, the trimmer's brilliant, but all the supporting products as well. You know, we've seen a fair few listeners already, uh, you know, using our, using our code, getting, getting their equipment. All the feedback is, is amazing. And it's, I've talked about it before. It isn't, isn't something that people always think about, Mike. I know, you, you know, you're, you're a man who's invested in the, uh, the, your male grooming for quite some time, but there's loads of people who, wouldn't even give it a second thought as something to do. Um, and, you know, if, if, if I might sound like a, a, a proper salesman for a bit, you know, it genuinely makes you feel fantastic. And, and the hygiene's the hygiene benefits are great. You know, it, 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 oh, dear. I, it's, it's a whole new world to me, really, because 
you know, I, I wasn't overly concerned with it before, but um, but it but it's changed my life. Chris, as well, I know you've uh, you've got experience of this. Well, yeah, um, and you know, I, I can speak from uh, a position of experience because uh, prior to even before this arrangement was reached with uh, Manscaped, the good the good folk at Manscaped, I'd already bought the lawnmower two point naught, and you know, I still regularly use that as part of my grooming regime. Um, you know, and that's probably more information than any of you want. Uh, but you know, I'm seriously considering <laughs> upgrading uh, to the Norma Three on the basis of the uh, feedback that I'm hearing from my fellow podcasters. Well, so they, they're offering twenty percent off and free shipping um, if you go to their website Manscaped. Uh, that's with an ed on the end. dot com. Um, use the code BOTN. Obviously, stands for back of the nest. Um, at checkout, and you'll get the twenty percent off for free shipping. Um, and as as Hambo said, quite a lot of listeners have done it. Um, obviously, that's a, a win-win-win situation because uh, they're getting their name out. That's what they want to do. Um, it's helping us as the, uh, on the pod, and it's helping you uh, and probably to impress your other half uh, more than they were impressed before. So, yeah, um, please, <laughs> please do realise that you're helping everyone out in this situation. Uh, yeah, manscape.com. I, I just want to applaud that turn of phrase. I giggled there. I wasn't intending to giggle, but impre- imp- what was that? Impress your other half even more than they're impressed already. I, I, I enjoyed that. Well, there you go. Uh, build people up before they get knocked down. Uh, and they're going to get knocked down right now because we're going to go with the uh, the post-game audio uh, after Man City. We're going to start with a quote from Gary Cahill after he helps... Uh, with the defence that shipped four goals. Sam? I guess, is it a, a disappointment that the goals came? It was all second phase of set pieces and then the, the free kick as I well. think we gifted the goals, to be honest. I think we we um, made bad decisions at times um, in the build-up to, to goals. We invited a bit of pressure towards the end of the game, which we, we don't normally do, um, and we got punished for that, which you would do here. So that's why we're disappointed. I think collectively as a group, we're disappointed we realised that because we worked very hard in the first half to, to go in um, 1-0. You're always still in the game, of course, um, at a difficult place where you know you, you're, you're going to be under the cosh for, for large periods of the game. Um, they had a lot of the ball. I think they had, what, six chances, did they? Mm. It wasn't like we was our goal or, or V was getting peppered. Um, we kind of killed ourselves in the end, which is why it's disappointing. He's got such a soft, dulcet tone, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, but a bit, bit like Josh Butler uh, from the England cricket team. Um, let, let's just get Roy's take on it as well before we discuss this. Um, this, this is him um, in the press conference after the game. Half time, I didn't really see us losing by that heavy margin, but it it happened. Once again, we were on the end of some spectacular goals, but I'm a bit disappointed that we had a hand ourselves in presenting them with, with a couple of those goals, which we hadn't certainly done in the first half. When we came in, just one goal to kneel down, thanks to that fantastic cross and from De Bruyne and header from, from John Stones. Yeah, I think we've heard similar stuff from Roy before. Uh, that's all from CPFC, uh, uh, the Palace player. Chris, what are your reactions to uh, the player's perspective and then Roy's perspective? Well, I, I understand where Cahill's coming from because he said they, they worked hard in the first half. That is true. They did work hard. Um, wasn't good enough, but they did work hard. And, you know, that that's 
really there's there's not much positive that you can take from uh, the quotes other than that. I mean, I, I also think it's it's a bit inaccurate to on Cahill's part to say that they had six chances. I mean, the stats show they had thirteen attempts actually. Uh, City, you know, I mean, maybe not uh, all of them on target, obviously, but they got four goals out of that, so that's you know pretty good going for that from there. Part as regards, I mean, we'll, we'll analyze the goals themselves, and in terms of the you know the defensive performance, and it, it clearly um, wasn't good. Once we conceded, we never looked like coming back into it, and you know Roy himself said that you know we did very well in the first half. Well, you know, I mean that that made it pretty clear um, what his game plan was, which was to keep them quiet. That's also reflected in one of the other interviews post match, where you know. It, you know, if you don't if you don't stop them scoring, you're definitely not going to um, come out with much more um, than what we got, which was a thumping. So, you know, we've got clearly got some improvements to make. Uh, but you know, ultimately, we we ended up in the position we're in because in that game in that game because we set up not to lose. And you know, with that kind of negativity, you're unlikely to get a result at City. Uh, look at the in previous games, we've actually had a go at them, and you know, sometimes they've rocked. And they've not scored large numbers of goals against other teams. So it's pretty disappointing that that's what happened in this game. I just want to juxtapose the uh, the four goals um, with what Roy said there, Hambo. Um, it doesn't, the, the, the two things don't really go together, do they? No, I, I've, I, find this, I find it very difficult to, to sort of reconcile what I've heard. It, and, and, you know, it's so it's even difficult to know where to start at times. I mean, you know, Cahill's comments, are, you know, are very honest and understandable, um, and we'll you know we'll talk about his part um, in at least one of the goals, I'm sure. But you know, with, with Roy, you have to take the pre-match comments into account as well in, in his post-match summing up. You know, pre-game, all he talked about was how we were going to stop Man City. Um, and and how, you know, and, and how the players that he picked and the system that he picked was all about matching their their energy and matching their running, which frankly we didn't do anyway. Um, and then to to come to come into to post match and effectively say, you know, we we he was right, we did okay in the first half, but to effectively say that, you know, the phrasing of I didn't anticipate losing by that many goals. It's it's all wrong in a manager. It's all wrong to come out and say I didn't think we were going to lose that badly. It you know. It's almost it's almost inexcusable, and you have to go back to the, a lot of people, particularly those who, who remain staunchly pro Roy, are saying that don't you can't overreact to playing Man City. It's Man City. It's Man City. No, but if if Fulham, you know to treat the Man City game very, very recently, treat the Man City game like it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to lose. They are a far, far worse team than Man City and arguably you know, fairly substantially worse team than Crystal Palace. Yet, they got a draw, didn't they? 1-1, one, one, I think it was. And it, you just think, well, you know, every game's different, yet every approach is different. But if you don't back yourself in, in any way, if a manager sets a team up and says, guys... I can't back you. I, I cannot back you to win this game. I don't think you're capable of winning this game. So let's all focus on not losing by a bigger margin. You know, what are you doing? What What is even the point of you being a football manager if you can't 
try some way of rousing that set of players. They're not idiots. We all know we all know that Man City, with their resources, their manager, with their talent, that they are going to be a really difficult side. And even our best showing, if they're anywhere near their best, we could be very, very lucky to get anything out of the game. But don't go into a match with, with the attitude that you've lost it before you started, because that is just a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will just happen. And we know from the past that we did we haven't done that in the past. So why are we doing it now? We've had great results against Man City. We had a real spell where everyone was leaning on the fact that our performance against the top six was, you know, amongst the non-top six, was the best in the league. You know, Roy got lauded for it, and rightly so. But we're way, way, way off of that now. We are a team in an absolute massive decline, and we've got to wake up to it because it's it's just not good enough. And when, when a manager comes across like he has, the players cannot believe in him. And it's no wonder you keep looking around that team at different times, and half the time they're kind of shaking their heads and laughing because... They they don't believe it any in anymore. It's it's got to come to an end. You've, you've pretty much covered what MacArthur said post game as well. He said we were quite deep at times. They put that much pressure on you. They get in so many good holes. That's an interesting choice of a phrase. That um, it's hard to get up the pitch. So I mean, Chris, if you want, if you feel free to talk about the specifics of the goals, but um, that is exactly the self fulfilling prophecy you were talking about because um, that that's only happened because. Um, they've not been able to stick to Roy's plan, which was never going to work in the first place. Yeah, can't really disagree with that. And I'll, I'll quickly um, you know, make a few comments about the goals. I mean, you know, clearly Cahill should do better um, for in the build-up to the Stones header. You know, the first goal we concede from a corner, but sadly not the last in this game. Uh, Townsend trying to bring down the ball and control it rather than just wellying it away. Uh, just outside the box, getting dispossessed by Gundogan, and yes, that was it. That was a wonder goal from him, and absolutely nothing that Guaita could do. But um, you know, very frustrating that you know that that he decided to try and bring the ball down. That was more more of a Sacco moment than anything else. Uh, Guaita failed to hold the shot. I can't remember who it was from uh, for the third goal. Pa- only managed to parry it, um, and Stones tucks it away for his brace. And then the final one is a free kick that we shouldn't have given away. Uh, that Sterling uh, again with a pretty much unstoppable shot, and you know so that so that's that's the four goals. But you know so yes, they're, they're disappointing and they're the results of those. You know the, the as MacArthur said, the holes um, that uh, the City players were getting into. The one thing I'll say by way of positive and a bit of perspective was. You know, is that if you'd said to me before these two games that you know we'd come out of it with a point, you know, I'd have been happy with that, and you know that is what we got in the end. It's just disappointing that we had such a great performance. I mean, I thought it was a very positive performance with lots of decent uh, moves in the game against Arsenal, and then the City performance. I suppose it's all, it often happens when we're without Wilf. You know that we we don't look as good as we as we should. We shouldn't be as dependent as we are, but we are. And, you know, so now we're coming, we've got a little break to reflect. I think it's not time to hit the panic button, but I am disappointed that, you know, by the result of this second game. I don't think it's panic, it's just inevitability. I just think, you know, you can you can see what, you can see that that belief has gone. And when, when the second goal went in, when you watch players react the way that they did, which was not, you know, which was not, oh, damn it, we've conceded again. It was, well, here we go again, you know. Mm, that's that this that's that's this one gone 
but you know, you, great summary of the goals there, Chris. And I, and I think, you know, you can you can look at each one. Um, you know, the, the Cahill one, and, and it's not just him because you've got Ward and Tompkins in close proximity as well. Probably only Tompkins really is he's dragged out wide by. Uh, the movement, I think it was Jesus' movement or maybe Gundogan, I can't remember which one he went with, but he, he went with someone out wide, realised what was happening in the second phase of play and, and basically sprinted across and, and did a giant leaping header to try and get there, but was way off. But Cahill's just, you know, he's he's a man who has has enough experience, as do the other two, to be able to think about, you know, where, where to position themselves for that second phase of play. You cannot lose a, a player like, John Stones, who hasn't scored for Man City in the Premier League. You, you can't lose him like that. And then obviously he gets lost later on as well. But you're absolutely spot on. You know, at this, I, I do really want to pick out, I'll, I'll leave the other goals, but, um, um, you know, cause, you know, we all, we all know McCarthy shouldn't have given that foul away for, for the fourth. And we all, we all know, you know, it was poor defending from a corner for the third. But I want to, I want to pick out, because I don't actually want to criticise Andros for the second goal because he, he took stick for it, but this, to me, is another thing that highlights one of the biggest issues. If you have somebody who's played their whole life as an attacking winger, you know, and you and you try effectively to convert him to to a defensive wide midfielder and ask him to play in those positions, he isn't. His natural game is not to understand that on the edge of his own penalty area, you cannot take a touch down and control it. You do that up the other end of the pitch, absolutely. And if you lose the ball, there's no damage there. But as a defender on the edge of your penalty area, basically, you know, in the position that he was in with the players in close proximity, it had just it, it, you help that on. You either smack it out of play or you hoof it back over your head, and you and you get out and you get shape and all that kind of stuff, right? He didn't do it because it's not his natural game because he's being asked to play something that's not his natural game. And, and I don't feel he should be criticised because, especially first half, his effort, his movement was absolutely superb and the only reason we got anywhere near up the pitch. So defending Andros there, unfortunately, he didn't defend the situation. Well, that's that's a good segue because I wanted to end this on some positives. Um, and obviously, most of those are going to come from the Arsenal game rather than the Man City game. Um, Townsend against Arsenal... Um, I thought had an absolutely exceptional game. Um, checked on whoscored.com to see if I was vindicated because uh, somebody on Twitter said I was mad. Um, but he did, in fact, get the the highest rating out of 10 for any of the Palace players on the pitch. Um, I'm going to put a couple of other positives from the, the last few games in and then, then you guys can have a quick word each. Uh, Jimmy Mack, obviously, I, I thought was excellent against Arsenal, probably my man of the match. Um, and, you know, even in a... A real, a real cane in like the Man City game was. Um, he always puts in a shift. Um, a small positive, positive is uh, that's five games unbeaten in a row against Arsenal. Um, and some people might use that as as a narrative to say, um, "Oh, Hambo, you're wrong," because the top six, we've, we've, you know, we've still managed to get five in a row where we haven't lost to Arsenal. Let's not joke about it. They're not really a top six team anymore, are they? Um, but yes, that's the first time that Palace have done that um, against any of the traditional top six. So yeah, quick quick note on positives from both of you and then we'll get on to this in the content. You can go first, Chris. Gladly. Uh, I mean, my, my positive was Benteco's performance. I thought he, he looked you know hungry and you know particularly, I mean, he had that header that on any other day could easily, should easily have gone in. You know, it was a really, really uh, good cross and very, very well taken by him. And, you know, I was 
you know very pleasantly um, surprised to see him. Uh, you know, back to not. I mean, I'm not going to say his best because obviously he didn't score, but he's looking dangerous. And you know, I, I found it inexplicable that he didn't start this next game. But yeah, I think the positive that I'm taking from that is he had a, he had a good shot and he had a good header. And you know, if he keeps doing that, if he's given the chance, then I think he will start scoring again. Yeah, I'd I'd, add, I'd I'd totally agree with that, and I will and I will add a, a general positive, and that the performance against Arsenal was excellent overall. Yeah. Not, you know, it, there were there were some excellent individual performances, as you said, Townsend, Benteke also picked out. Um, I thought the two central midfielders in, in Milivojevic and Macarthur worked brilliantly. Um, okay, it's not the best Arsenal team you've ever seen, but their movement caused problems in the opening twenty minutes, and there seemed to be a bit of an adjustment on the pitch from the players, and and that you know they they, they seem to understand their roles that little bit better. Luca dropped that tiny bit deeper. MacArthur just up those energy levels in, in the chasing down, and you know Benteke and, and Zaha as well. You know at the right moments tucked in and and battled, but also stretched the play. You know Benteke was drifting into channels as much as Zaha was at times. It, overall, you know that was a level of performance. I'm disappointed that we didn't get something more from the game in the end because we created the better chances. But it seemed to function. There seemed to be belief on the ball. There seemed to be back in the players, back in the, you know back in each other that level of confidence and belief that we could create and we didn't just have to accept things as they were, um, th- that was absolutely right. And, and the fact is it's such a polar opposite from the City game that, that you know it makes a City game even worse. But we're talking positives. What, what an excellent display that was against Arsenal. Back of the Nest, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos, choose your match day squad, post match ratings, and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. Yeah, excellent, excellent indeed. Um, and we'll tie in uh, our other sponsor, uh, Pitch Sport. Um, it's a great app. Um, so Download it. Um, you can you can choose your team uh, ahead of kickoff um, before it's announced. You can predict the score. Um, basically, discuss what you think is going to happen, and then post game um, select a man of the match, and they'll give you some stats: uh, who was right, um, how many people voted um, for the correct score, that kind of thing. Uh, it's it's got Mark Bright's seal of approval, so you, you know it's it's a good thing. Um, we're all on there, so if 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 you do want to just it's it's a bit like you, you when you're playing Super Six, you just play pitch sport as well. It's it's a bit of fun. Uh, get some Palace fans talking. Um, so I went for the man of the match uh, against Man City on there. I went for Joel Ward. Um, it, was, it was slim pickings. Um, Hambo, who did you go for? Uh, Tyreek Mitchell. Tyreek um, Mitchell. Yeah, I just yeah. I mean he's yeah he's getting better and better. Just felt very sorry for him in the City game. Yeah, and, and Chris, who's your man of the match? I went for Eze because I liked the fact that he had a go at lobbing Edison. Excellent. Yes, yes forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that indeed. So yeah, you can you can join us on there. We've got a little league going. Uh, Hambo's code. If you want to befriend Hambo, is K U G K U T. Card cut. Uh, <laughs> mine is E N E Y D K. And Any Chris. Unique. Any Yudik. Uh, she sounds like she uh, somehow, <laughs> she was a Scottish uh, luge uh, person <laughs> in, the, in the last Olympics or something. Uh, Chris, what's the code for to add you? 
So if you want to follow me, I'm W V G V A V Wuvugvav. The the Polish international Wuvugvav. Uh, yes. So yes, get get involved with pitch sport. And finally, let's finish with some uh, listener feedback. Uh, thank you for sending it in. I mean, there wasn't a great deal to say. Um, people were feeling pretty flat uh, the morning after the Man City game. So thank you for everyone that did get involved. Uh, the ones we don't read out, we still use them to shape the um, show doc that we go through. Unless we manage to write the show doc before you write a comment, in which case, apologies, because we probably haven't read it yet, but we will. Um, so first of all, Sam on Twitter, at TP. Uh, said something very similar to you just now, Hambo. Tyrant Mitchell was quite good. Agreed. Yes, definitely. I mean, he's 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 shaping up to be one of those players that just gives you a, a 7 out of 10 week in, week out. Uh, Andy Hode, uh, regular, regular on here, Andy the Twat, 1992. Uh, was thinking last night about potential replacements for Roy, and there isn't many. How looks like he's up for Celtic, and Dyche will probably stay at Burnley given the new investment they received. I can't think of any available that would suit like Roy is staying for good. Mm. Chris. <laughs> um, I mean, I, even I don't want him to stay for good, but um, I'm in no hurry to see him leave. Having said that, I think it's important to note that uh, Paul Nash says a little bit later on, that's at PJN20C, regardless of whether Roy wants to carry on or not, surely, surely we can't offer him another contract contact next contract next season so you know yeah well we, we haven't we haven't done yet have we by the sounds of it so um hmm. i'm interested i'm interested in, in in andy's comment there around you know um i mean so he's mentioned two of the the favorite names of how and, and dyche I, I i you know i'll go on record still saying i don't think dyche in any way would suit crystal palace football club i don't think his style of management in any way would be right for a for a you know, a South London football club, and, and, and I'll leave that there. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm I'm not so sure about how and Celtic. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But you know, I do I do think we. I think if I, I could be proven wrong any time, quite frankly. But if if any real desire was there to keep Roy another season, it it would have happened by now. He would have got that contract extension. Um, you know, so I'm convinced that that we're looking for a replacement. But what I will say is, if we don't, whoever we we want next, if if for whatever reason we don't act or they don't want it, that's that's the scenario where I can think we'll we'll chuck another year at Roy. And he's made it pretty clear he doesn't want to go anywhere. So, you know, we're gonna have to make that call anyway. And just a, a few other comments from uh, members of the pods when we pass to them the words Roy is staying for good. Um, DR simply said, nah, fam. Um, Patrick said, for fuck's sake. Uh, and Heskiff said that miserable Dave is uh, considering giving up watching football. So there you go. Uh, let's have a quick comment from Tom at Tom SW1. Only positive I can take is that I have stones in my fancy football team. This is purely on a might as well take something from two hours. I will never get back basis, I hasten to add. Uh, you see that now. That's that's taking the silver linings from an otherwise terrible evening. Good work there, Tom. Um, let's let's carry on to some other comments then, um, if I can use my cursor properly. Uh, Mark Jew, Mark Drew, sorry, Mark, uh, <clears throat> a regular contributor. No positives. Same old rubbish from Palace. See, we've tried to find the positives, Mark, 
Um, and I think we've done a, a pretty decent job. Um, but yes, I can see see what you mean. Um, Charles Bake on Facebook, maybe just avoid talking about football. Um, I mean, unless we've got any more manscaping stories, I, I think we're probably going to have to do that. Um, let's go to Mike Davis, though, and then get your comments on this, gents. I'm as frustrated and, and disappointed as anyone, season ticket holder for close on 50 years, and it's gutting to see our current quality of pay. I've started to look at the bigger picture. Survival in the Premier League, the Premiership is vital. Uh, and he goes on from there. But, um, I mean, my general feeling, and I'm usually somebody that takes a risk on most things. Um, so I've said it before, I generally clash with people and I've stopped even bothering, really, um, that don't tend to like a risk. Um, and obviously, Mike, you know, he's been he's been a season ticket holder for the best part of half a century. So he's forgotten more about Palace than I'll probably ever know. Um, but it is survival in the Premier League vital in the sense that only Roy can provide that, Chris? I don't think it's necessarily the case that only Roy can provide it, but Roy does provide it and provides it reliably. And you know, on that basis, I can see the argument that says, you know, why would you change it if he's delivering according to his brief? And I think that probably is the brief that he's getting from the owners of the club. So, you know, I mean, I understand that there'll be people who are frustrated by the quality of what they're seeing on the pitch. I am too. But at the same time, um, I'm enjoying the fact that, you know, I'm actually not worried about whether we're going to be in the Premier League because I think we no, will be. You and should that, be. That's... Well, we'll see. Yeah, let's... But but I, I would I, it would be remiss if I didn't, you know, elongate this show like I normally do anyway ah. and, and take this opportunity to oh, say... I, I deliberately left you a second on this question. Yeah, yes. I, I, know you, I know you did. I just want to, I, I just want to say a couple of things. You know, Roy keeps you in the Premier League until he doesn't. And I've said that before, and I know it's an obvious glib statement, but it is, you know, undoubtedly true. Um, but the main point is is this perpetuated myth that the, the, what we're doing now under Roy is the only thing that we can do with the squad that we have to stay in the Premier League. The idea has been perpetuated that Roy Hodgson can keep you in the Premier League and he offers that guarantee and the inference is that nobody else can. Well, that is crap, right? That that is that is defeatist. You know, yes, a new appointment could go wrong. We've all been burned by Frank de Boer, <laughs> you know. But for for the love of God, don't just accept things as they are, being the best that they can ever be. You know, in, in any walk of life, let alone in football, in, in your football team that you care about, that you use for the escapism that you need in your everyday life. That you you know that, that that is capable of bringing you so much joy as well as so much frustration, you know if your eyes are telling you that you're bored, and that you, that the team should be doing better, don't disbelieve your eyes. Don't just accept that being negative that that is the way to go. That accepting defeat against teams that are better than you is the way to go. It, it is a horrible, horrible myth out there that Roy is delivering the best that you can get with this squad and that he offers guarantees of anything. And if I might finish by saying you should always consider the impact of the current manager on what happens when he goes. Okay. We, we've, we've seen that in many, many times in the past. If you have the wrong manager and the, a manager who stays around too long doing the same thing over and over, it is harder and harder and harder to shake yourself, yourselves out of that. And so many teams up and down the country have suffered from that. 
you know, have suffered from having a squad that's been, you know, completely stripped of its creativity and its flair and its talent and have been allowed to age in the way that our squad has. Everybody off the pitch has got a responsibility for that too. But, you know, right now, I, I think Roy is doing a tremendous amount of damage lurking around. That, that's all I'm going to say there. Okay. Um, I'm going to uh, field the next one from Pete Mouncer. Um, and we covered it a little bit. Why are there no youngsters even on the bench? What does that say for the future talent? Um, and I just wanted to say, I don't think it's a reflection on the under-23s at all because um, I feel like there could be the next Messi in the team and Roy's not going to select them. Obviously, it, it might get to them. I wouldn't have thought that, uh, except for the ones that are teetering on the brink of being involved on the bench, uh, the Pierics of this world, I, I don't think it's going to um, vastly affect their confidence because I think a lot of them feel like they're still quite a way off uh, first-team football and, and they'll get it. Um, from from being loaned out, um, but it, it, it certainly would have a ne- negative impact um, if they think, well, he's managed to choose seven people instead of nine. Um, and what does that say about the chance we've got of being professionals at this football club? Um, and yes, we'll finish with uh, Jason Rourke. And he said he sent a long message. We'll just we'll just go for the best of it. Um, he said our formation and attitude attitudes the key there. I think need to change. And I'm sorry. Needs to start with a more attacking-minded manager. Hodgson has done great for our club, but like most things in life, it's time for a change. And if this club wants to progress and move forward, then we need a change of manager, I'm sorry to say. Chris, pick the bones out of that, both of you. Uh, Brief, because obviously we could go on all night with this. Um, But yeah, what what would you say about that? Well, I mean, I I think there's there's a a logic behind that position. It's one that uh, Hambo has articulated to a certain extent. Um, in saying that the attitude needs to change and that we need to be at least having a go at some of these teams. I'm not completely convinced uh, by the argument that um, it is yet time for change. I mean, at the end of the season, I do think there's probably a very strong case to be made that we should be looking to see if there's someone available who can do do the job in a different way. I'm not... I'm not yet convinced that the club agrees with that or with, that its owners do. I know the fan base are keen to see something different. Uh, frankly, I probably agree with them to a certain extent, but only if the right manager is available. And, you know, for me, I mean, I, I know what Hambo said there, that um, Dyche isn't suitable. I think he would offer a very similar approach to Roy and, you know, frankly, that would work for me. So I'd, I'd be willing to see that, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, in terms of anyone else, I really liked Stephen Reid when he was uh, here as assistant to and, and the coach under Roy. He left. I'd like to see him come back and given a chance. Other than that, he, ble- he bleeds Millwall though, doesn't he? He absolutely bleeds Millwall. He, he he's often on Twitter saying me. Well, yeah, I can't see it. Fair. Can't argue with that. But basically. It depends on, one, what type of job we want done. And I'm, I'm yet to see evidence that the club necessarily wants to uh, rebrand the football, given the way that they got burnt last time when they tried to do that too quickly um, and hired the wrong manager to do it. So, one, they've got to, got to want a different approach. And two, you've got to hire the right person. So until we know what the agenda behind this desire for change is, you know, it's, it's hard to know and who's available difficult to know whether they'll fit that brief but that's the key is what's the brief for the change I'd I'd go along with that to a point but I I would just 
go back to the, the the terminology that Jason uses, and it, it's a it's a really good message from Jason. And you can tell he's you know he's thought about it a lot. But I, I would just say the subtle difference between what I've been trying to stress in a in a very frustrated way is there is a big difference between attacking and positivity. I'm not saying the 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 answer to the problems that we're they're currently experiencing in the way we're having to effectively endure watching football. I don't think it's necessarily about attacking because you know we do attack. It just goes back much more to the, the mentality thing that Jason talks about and that I've been talked about. A positive mentality doesn't mean you send your team out gung ho and, and try and outscore the opposition. That's not what positive mentality is. Positive man- mentality can be as simple as not saying we're going to lose to Man City and then going and losing to Man City. So, you know, I just, you know, if people can get that in their heads and, and try to stop arguing about ex- extremes, I think people would find there's a lot less conflict out there than, than, than there really appears to be right now. You know, none of us want Roy Hodgson to fail, but many of us have lost faith that he will change. And we feel that there needs to be a, a change in attitude. And I just finish by saying, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about on the watch along was, you know, I, I feel really bad at the moment because I don't like Roy Hodgson at all. I, I find it hard to watch him and listen to a word he says. And I really look forward to the day that I'll be able to look back at Roy Hodgson's Palace managerial career and talk about what an amazing job he did keeping us in the Premier League for as long as he did. The turnaround he achieved when he walked into the club, when we were, you know, we were just downright awful and, and you know, almost down and out so ridiculously early in the season. And the methods he used, the belief he got in the team, the way he got the best out of certain players. Um, but but it's just, it's so stale and it's so boring and it's so uninspiring. And surely that's what watching football is all about. Us as supporters, we're not the ones who need to worry about the finances, the ones that need to worry about contracts. And, and we spend so much time and energy on social media doing this rubbish now, when really all we need to be focused on the fact is that we want to, you know, that, that dare to dream that our club will go higher than it is, that can do better than it's doing right now, that can go beyond the, the kind of realms. And every club will reach a, a ceiling at some point. It's not easy to establish yourself as a top half Premier League team and then even kick on from there. And I want to support the board and say that they're doing some brilliant things. They're looking, you know, working really hard to develop that stadium, the investment in the academy, the way it's looking now when you see it in the backdrop of the, the you know, the academy games that are being streamed. You know, that's something to be really proud of and really hopeful of about the future. But, you know, that that's what positivity is. That's what the in, sort of inspiration is around football. So don't get lost in this kind of idea that we have to go out and, you know, go and be Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. We don't, but there is a better way. The word I'd use is, is proactive. Um, and like you say, just, just thinking outside the box sometimes. Uh, but let's leave it there. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Thanks to everyone who got in touch, as I said. Um, if we use your message or not, it, it, it equally uh, went towards making the show. So thank you. Please keep sending them in. Um, please engage with our sponsors, Manscaped and Pitch Sport. Remember the uh, the code is BOTN at manscaped.com uh, and give them a follow uh, on the usual socials. Uh, preview team will be back at some point for next Tuesday's game against West Ham, uh, which is at Selhurst. So until next time, come on you. 
Back of the Nest Review Show, sponsored by PitchDMM.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.